Yes, yes, yes. I know what you're thinking. Halos of the Infield did just put out a new episode. But we have a bonus episode for you this week. Sarah Valenzuela of the LA Times joins the boys to talk all things Angels baseball and her career that has led her to being the newest beat writer for our Angels. It's all coming up, up next. What's up, Halo fam? Halo Joe here. Just wanted to thank each and every one of you for checking out this new episode. Make sure to keep it tuned here to Halos in the Infields Baseball Network all season long as we drop content every day. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Also, make sure to crack the like button and leave a comment. Make sure you also smash that bell icon to be notified every time we drop an episode or go live. Also, check us out on our other platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. We can also be found on Apple Pod, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Don't forget to leave that five-star review. Thank you again, Halo fam, and with that, let's get this show on the road. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of Halos in the Infield with your host here, Todd Fox, along with the other host, Fernando. Fernando, the Lone Star Halo coming all the way at you from New Jersey. He's on the road. The and we have a, yes, we have a special guest from the LA Times. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Sarah Valenzuela. I started working as the Angels beat writer um, there uh, back in June of last year. Nice. All right. So far. Yeah. So she's got some games under her belt. She knows what's up. So we're going to, we're going to pick her brain and also uh, want the, want you, the fans to get to know her and as well as what she does behind the scenes and in the LA times for the reporting of your angels. So before we get to that real quick, Fernando, you want to let them know about the, uh, about the page and all that, all the good stuff. Oh, yeah, all the fun stuff, you know, five-star review, like, subscribe, all, all that fun stuff. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. And follow Sarah as well. We'll give, I'm sure she'll give her handle in just a minute. Um, but let's go ahead and dive a little bit uh, into what led you to this path of getting with the Angels. Actually, for starters, what's your relationship with some of the other beat writers? Like, it, do beat writers get along? Or is it kind of like, a, hey, we'll get along, but I'm still going to get the scoop first? Um. Well, I'm, I, I'm truthfully still learning more of the dynamic. Um, I do think they're everyone's everyone's different. Um, for me, I like to think I get along with everyone, and I try to be friendly with everyone. Um, we all have different jobs, and we all kind of have our own things that we're working on. So. I don't view it so much as like, I need to get a scoop over you. There are some elements of that where it's like, okay, if I have like my own information and something that I would like to share myself, I'll keep it to myself until like my story comes out as just a way of, well, people can come to me and come to my stuff for that kind of, kind of stuff. But I don't think it's anything like, or like, oh, <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like the, the beat dynamic varies, uh, from team to team. Um, I don't know, 
think the, the the beat writers at the Angels. I think we all get along pretty well. I'm still uh, getting to getting to know the rest of the guys, uh, Fletch and Rhett and Sam. They've all known each other a bit longer than I've known them, but you know, we we all get along pretty well. That's good to know because I would imagine you know <clears throat> the pressure to be you know Angels beat writers not as much as the Dodgers one would be. You know, it's that one seems to be more of like a dog eat dog type thing. I've, I've heard some stories there. So I'm glad you get along with the angels beat writers. Yeah. Every, everyone's different. Some of the, some clubhouses are a bit more crowded than others. And hmm. it's hard to find your own unique story to tell. That's not just what everyone else is writing, but I feel like we all kind of figure it out on our own. Okay. Well, I guess it's a bit of an advantage that you came from, you know, another big market in New York, which I mean, New York uh, is a, it's just a giant media market in general. But, you know, the, the sports dynamic over there is pretty crazy. I would imagine that's a little more doggy dog. Now, um, I see here that you were on the sport deck for the New York Daily News uh, for, for three years. Yeah. And that uh, you helped cover the Mets and the Yankees. How was that? Um, it was honestly, uh, so I was a backup writer. Um, sorry, I was the backup person covering Mets and Yankees. So primarily for no, all, all for home games. Um, whenever the the main beat writers just need like a needed like a day or two here and there. Okay. Um, I just feel like doing that transitioning into now being a main beat person. Uh, they they were so different. Um. I felt like there was a little less pressure on me as like a backup person, just because like the main beat sometimes would be like, yeah, you know, maybe look out for this and kind of keep me in the loop of like, what was the last storyline that they had? So it was a little bit of switching. It wasn't any kind of like hard pressure. Um, but now it's like, okay, yes, you, you are in charge of this whole beat. <laughs> Um, I have a tremendous amount of support from like my mentors and, uh, Mike DiGiovanna and Bill Shaken and Dylan Hernandez. And, They've been around uh, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Jorge Castillo and uh, Helene Elliott and all these people, all these other, um, people at the LA times who covered the angels for years, been around, um, the team for years. Uh, so I, I tremendous amount of support, which I am very grateful for, but yeah, having the primary responsibility for covering one beat for myself, um, comes with a little bit more pressure than I had working back in New York. That said, I do appreciate the, the smaller clubhouse dynamic, um, of, of the angels clubhouse just back in New York, the, the clubhouses in terms of the amount of, of media covering the team, it, it was a bit more, um, but, uh, with the angels, it's, you know, there's four, uh, main people myself. And then the other three, um, there's, uh, usually an AP person who floats in. Um, and then there's the Japanese writers who, who cover, uh, Shohei Otani. So I <laughs> you feel probably like get, you probably <laughs> get more of them at sometimes than the regular beat writers, right? Sometimes it really depends, but they, since their priority is, is, uh, Otani, they're kind of a little bit of everywhere mm -hmm. and we're not always populated in the same, like we're not all always in the clubhouse. Gotcha. Um, I had a question. Cause like, 
I, I listen sometimes to the the fan in New York, you know, iHeartRadio. Shout out right there, like Boomer. Um, but thing bring I bring that up because like over there, like they seem to talk Mets and Yankees all year round, and like the Giants and Jets are kind of secondary. So I can imagine the kind of pressure, or at least like the 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 need to report on stories because I don't know if you've noticed, but like the Angels aren't like the number one team in this market, you know, in SoCal. So I mean, like the the i guess what i'm trying to say is like <clears throat> angels fans they love their team and everything but they're not priority number one like you would get more like lakers and the fact that you know you're able to be the head beat writer and get the majority of the stories you're not having to rub elbows with as many people in new york i mean that had to be like something refreshing for you right coming over here to the west coast it definitely helped with my learning experience it's given me room to to become this beat writer to become a beat writer in in my own right mm -hmm. um, without sort of being crowded in in the whole space so it's it's definitely given me the room to to grow on my time that's awesome thank you <laughs> so between the so have you been to both city field and yankee stadium i would imagine yeah okay which one do you prefer? Because I've heard, I've never been to either one. I drive past both every single month. Uh, which do you prefer? Um, City Field. Uh, but I, let me preface and say City Field because it, it was made for the fan in mind. And like, you can see the, the mm. different amenities in both places. So I feel like you go to Yankee Stadium because you know you're going to watch a baseball game and there are some classic elements to their stadium. But City Field has a lot more going on outside of the field that at least from a fan perspective, it's it's more to do there. So Yeah, we heard Yankee Stadium is okay. more corporate. It's more like catering to the the, the higher ups or or at least the 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 more expensive fans down low. It's it's not the old Bronx. <laughs> it's, it's it's definitely different but but city fields transition from shea stadium into city fields um they had two completely different field different kind of atmospheres mm -hmm. uh, whereas like the old yankee stadium versus the new yankee stadium they have similar feels to each other but one is just more modern okay <clears throat> Yeah, I've like I said, I've never been to either one, but to Yankee Stadium is really weird because yeah, I mean, I, I guess the Bronx in general can be pretty can be pretty weird. I mean, you're like a block or two away and it doesn't feel like you're near this historic stadium. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I service some storage facilities literally just down the road. You know, you, you make a right turn, you go past uh, you know these buildings, a bunch of fast food places. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, the hard rock cafe and there's Yankee stadium. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you hear Yankee stadium and you think it's going to be something like Wrigley field where there's Wrigleyville and there's, there's a nightlife and you know, Hey, this is Wrigley field, but it's not like that at all. You make a left turn. All of a sudden there's Yankee stadium. Then you cross over the bridge and, and you know, you're all of a sudden in a different borough. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yankee Stadium's wild that way, but I mean, it, it, it looks like an interesting ballpark to say the least. So what, what was your perception on like seeing uh, Angel Stadium? And I would assume you've been at Dodger Stadium by now too. What was your perception of those considering, you know, they're 
two of the older stadiums in baseball. Um, they were definitely different from, from Yankee Stadium and City Field. Sorry, my makeup is leaking into my eye. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, it was, they were definitely different Dodger stadium. I, I knew it was on the older side. Um, but it, there, there were just some parts of it that I was just, I, you like, you walk around and you're like, Oh, Hmm, this is very unique. Like, uh, take, take the press box, for example, at Dodger stadium, the, if you're on the third row of the press box, the ceiling is very close to your head. <laughs> yeah. And you like the overhang then shields a lot of like what you can see out and like, mm. you can still see, see the field mm. at like no problem, but you stand up and all, it, it just, it seems like your, your field of vision is like cut in half. Yep. Um, That's fair. And then with angel stadium, it's, <laughs> it seems like it's lower in, in nature. Like you, like you step from, from when you enter into the stadium and like you just walk into like the first set of stands it seems wider but somehow like lower in in the uh, in like feel it okay. has a lot to do with the fact that there's so much open space behind it um and i'm prior to that like everything every other base like the two baseball stadiums back in my back where, where i'm from everything in the background is either like it's closed or they're buildings so no. It somehow felt like it was just lower to the ground and so much more open of a field. So definitely different. <laughs> Plus at Angel Stadium, I mean, the press box is essentially an afterthought because it was an old suite that they gutted and turned into the press box. And what used to be the press box, they turned into like a, uh, what, what are the, the Don Julio club, is it, Todd? Yeah, it's one of those clubs. Yeah, one of the, one of the, um, but the paid clubs for, for fans. Is it weird having to watch a game at angel stadium from the first base side instead of right behind home plate or not right behind home plate, but you know, behind the home plate area. Oh uh, no. So uh, we are actually behind home plate. We're in a, I believe it was an old radio suite um, behind home plate. Oh, uh, here's on the first base side. I thought that was the press. Uh, there there's, there's two sections. Oh, okay. So there's one section um, behind it, but it's a very small space. So kind of if, if you don't fit in that space, uh, the bulk of press goes to the to the one down uh, down the, the right space. line. Okay. You know, I have to apologize. We were too excited to ask you about Angel stuff first and, you know, your trip from <laughs> the East Coast and everything. We didn't get into your bio. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you became a baseball fan, obviously a writer, and where you came from. If you could, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no worries at all. Um, so I grew up in Queens, New York. Okay. Uh, actually, the way I became a baseball fan through my family. Naturally, I feel like all of us have like we're introduced through our family. We all have those like through the generations ties to the game. That kind of nostalgia. Um, I'm Filipino and Dominican. My mom's Filipino. My mom's Dominican. Specifically, when my mom's side of the family moved to New York, they got there at the same time. No, not the same time, but like very close to uh, when the Mets had just won their first World Series in Mm. '69. They got there in 19, like shortly after 1970. And everyone in New York is still talking about like the Mets, like they're a miracle. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they associated like they came here and they're like what's who are the Mets and like what is baseball mm -hmm. um, so they associated uh being American with watching baseball because that's what everyone was talking about at the time yep um, so uh they uh had a, they they learned baseball and they had their own fans most of my family are Mets fans um there's another half of my family that are Yankee fans it's a weird faction <laughs> um but I I grew up also loving baseball and going to baseball games going to then Shea Stadium going to the old Yankee Stadium so that's how I got through there um being a baseball writer <laughs> it's so funny I, I told the story to um, some of my new co-workers and they kind of laugh because like it has nothing to do with baseball um do you have you guys ever seen the show everybody loves raymond oh absolutely yeah yes uh -huh, okay. yeah. um the main character ray barone technically beat writer. is a beat writer yeah, yeah. don't tell me you followed ray ramones <laughs> I did. there was there was one scene in particular that like followed that follows me like to this day um where he's reading a new a, a newspaper um, and his family's reading the newspaper. It's a column he had on the Mets. And um, at the very end, they're like something, something um, written by uh, Ray Barone. And everyone starts clapping. Uh, and I that that one one scene stuck with me <laughs> from from like childhood up until like, yes, this is what I want to do for a living. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. It's um, funny how that works, right? It's always just those <laughs> weird little things that just they just stick with you. It's never anything practical. It's never anything like, oh, a beat writer came during career day. It's always, you know, some weird like that. I, I get it. You put your two favorite things together. You know, everybody loves Raymond and a beat writer, and boom, there you go. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um. So yeah, I from there, I just I I had different like twists and turns as I I went to Syracuse University uh for my Nice. education and to get my journalism degree um obviously like at the time I feel like everyone when you're going through college you're still trying to figure your life out trying to figure out what's the best path that would lead you to success and yeah. after college you're still as confused and it's hard to find like your first job it's hard to do this it's hard to do that um so my first job um like in the the print writing uh industry was actually not sports related at all it was in hard news for this hyper local paper called the bronx times and i was assigned to everything from politics to like really sad stories about people dying in fires and shootings and mm. after a while i got it got so depressing like if i had to do another story about someone who died <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was so depressing I'd like come home and I'd cry at night I'd be like oh my god why is everyone dead what is happening oh um, yeah, that's why I don't watch the news <laughs> <laughs> it was so sad to cover like how do you I had this one one uh guy who like his son was a um he just joined the army or the marines but also they were an immigrant family that just moved to the U.S. from I don't remember what country they were from um and there was a fire in their apartment and the, the the guy he just happened to be home from like uh from from training boot camp uh he was just home for a little Home's bit or whatever yeah mm. um for like a week and it, like it was a surprise that he was there like he surprised his family yeah. and fire breaks out in his apartment uh in the family's apartment everyone like no one was home like he was the only one there he's 
like saving, like physically, like pulling people out of said like building that's on fire, goes back in maybe like a third time because he heard someone said that whatever their children were in a burning room. He goes back in a third time. He never comes back out. <laughs> and then I have to talk to his his dad. Like his his dad was a single single dad. Mm -hmm. um, I have to talk to his dad the next day. Like dudes like it, like falling apart I'm, I'm like what what am i doing here like i, I don't want to talk to you about like clearly this is a sensitive yeah. topic but it was it was a lot <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it seems like it geez. it was a lot um but after that um i uh ended up at the new york daily news uh, and working in sports they were the ones who gave me my first opportunity to really show that this was the field that I wanted to be in and really gave me that chance to, I, I always expressed, you know, I want to work in baseball. I want to be a beat writer. This is what I want for my, for like my life. And they helped put me on the path to actually doing that. So three years later, when the LA times came calling, I was like, me, <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, right. hey, you must've been shining if, and well, all those other beat writers over there in New York. So that's, that's, uh, that's really commendable. I mean, and, and then two, being able to cover a team you grew up loving that's that's pretty cool yes yes uh, it's it's been a it's been humbling mm -hmm. a little bit overwhelming <laughs> but um it's it's it, i feel like it, it's we're at the start of of the beginning of, of, a, of a new chapter so <laughs> that's awesome okay okay so did you did you collect baseball cards growing up it's funny i did not start really like as a child you know how you go to all the different fan events mm -hmm. um, or like youth baseball events and mm -hmm. you get like little uh, goodie bags that usually come with like a the little pack of tops cards yeah yeah, yeah. you get like five or six it's, it's almost like a sample yeah. pack yeah. yeah so i always had those but i never okay. put into actually like collecting them mm -hmm. until it's funny until i was getting ready to move out uh, out to california mm -hmm. all of a sudden i became super interested in collecting baseball cards so now i have something like they're not even like in like an organized thing like i have one that's in like a thick binder of like just like really old cards i haven't even gone through all of them and then i have like one that's just in a bag but like it's like this thick like just pages and pages of cards like i have not gone through all of them but like suddenly i was like oh yeah i kind of want some more baseball cards so i just kept going to different garage sales oh yeah <laughs> yeah i've just like picked up so many now i did that with my studio fernando senior where uh like i bought a bunch of old like 96 or 86 baseball cards <clears throat> and um, they were still in their packages so i bought them in a box and then I wallpapered the uh, outside of the studio, just all baseball. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's crazy. It, being an adult with some money is a, a dangerous thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, yeah. and I was like, I was just astounded. I was like, wow, these cards are like in, still in their original condition, and you're selling no. them to me for for like, dirt cheap for like a dollar a page. No, not yeah. even. I think I think I got like the binder I got for maybe maybe two dollars and then the giant bag i got for maybe five dollars but i was looking through the car like i i'm pretty sure there's a hank aaron somewhere in there 
There's a Willie Mays in there. Oh, wow. There's You're talking some good there. retros. Yes, okay. yeah, good- Nolan yep. Ryan in there. See, I'm all papering with some older <laughs> cards that don't cost anything. You got some good stuff. All right. I got you. <laughs> just like, you guys just, you basically gave these away to me. Yeah. And you know there's going to be a resurgent on cards, too. They're going to go back up in price someday. So you're going to cash in. All right, Mr. Beanie Baby. I'm just saying, if we need an exclusive, I know how to get to her heart with those cards. <laughs> yeah, we got Todd over here. Do you have the Beanie Babies with the tax still on, too? <laughs> I may have some. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure you do. The platypus. Actually, that was worth some money, I, I hear. I'm, I'm, I was never a Beanie Baby collector. But, uh, yeah, I was hoping you had some like stories about like going down to the bodega and getting some, some overpriced baseball cards there. Oh, no. Well, because everyone says that, like, I've never, for somebody who goes to New York every month, I've never gone into a bodega. There's just like a certain wall and like a mental block. Like, I don't know if I should go in there. But everyone says they're always expensive. Is that true? Um, I feel like it depends. I mean, the, the, like the idea of the bodega was, was designed for like places that were considered like food deserts and like the grocery department. So bodega has everything from like, if you want your chopped cheese, if you want a bacon, egg and cheese, if you want your coffee, if you want like just a juice or some water, some snacks, they have that. They have also like some small groceries. Some of them have like like little like like vegetables and stuff like that very small like amounts of stuff some of them are like bigger um like in in variety of what they carry but i feel like it depends on both where you are and what you're looking for um yeah <laughs> okay yeah that's fair like i i like i told you uh, off air i i literally go to like all of new york from like long island all the way down to like manhattan you know the bronx harlem I, i'm I'm throughout everywhere. So I see, you know, so many different kinds of bodegas. But uh, being a, a woman in sports, obviously right now there's a, there's a current um, surge of women getting in, into sports and the world of sports. And, you know, uh, Todd and I are, are big fans of that. And, and a lot of people in general are. What does it mean to be part of that movement for you? Um, well, I don't really know. It's, it's so much a movement more so as everyone else catching up. Um, That's fair. A step in the right direction for sure. Stuff <laughs> that should have been taken, I, I guess is a better way to, to word it. Um, for me, like it's, for me, it's a blessing, but when I look to some of like the, the women in baseball and the women in sports who are older than me, and they're part of the generation that helped break down the barrier to like open the press, open like press boxes and clubhouses to women. Um, I look to them as like these, these champions of, of just an entire industry of, of women who want to work in sports and women who are, who are writers to just create the, the, a level playing field and for me like I, I feel like I'm just in this nice area where I, I get to reap the benefits of that I'm not going to say like it's perfect I don't know what everyone's experience is now like all the other women who are like closer to me in age who work in baseball or work in football work in basketball work in like clubhouses and locker rooms around the around the country um but I feel like for my experience I, I've had I've had good experiences and I, I'm blessed to have that I'm, I'm blessed to be where I am. And I'm, I'm grateful for all the women who came before me and, and sort of made this possible for, for me and for women like me. Yeah. It's a good thing now. I mean, it's um, whereas you might've had bias back then. Well, you did have bias, but <laughs> now, now it's just like, Hey, right person for the, for the job, 
you know, there's there's really no, you know, looking at a discriminatory way or a sexist way. Now it's just like, hey, if you could do the job, you're more than qualified, you know. And that's how it should be. It's how it should have been. Absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> we're definitely happy to have you on on board. And and I think he was getting he was kicking around before uh, we got into that subject about how do you feel about this year's Angels team? And and obviously talking to the guys entering spring training. Um, well, this year's team definitely has shaped up to be an upgrade from last year's team, <laughs> yes. in my opinion. Um, from just be depth- thankful you, oh, sorry, just be thankful you weren't here like three, four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like watching from afar, I, like everyone else look like on the outside looking in, it's, it's kind of like an afterthought to think about like the angels or like any other team that's not within the division or that's like typically competing against the teams that are in, in like your home market. Mm-hmm. So it's, just, it's interesting now being on the inside, seeing it all, um, seeing it all happen. Um, but yeah, no, from a depth standpoint, I think they've, they've upgraded um, whether it's enough. I feel like that's the question that we're, all waiting to find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're hoping that there's no injuries because we usually get bit by the injury bug quite often. And, <laughs> and then uh, we're hoping these guys can bat their weight, which didn't happen last year, which was very frustrating. Um, but we do have a dark cloud hanging over this franchise. And I think you know what that is. Me and Fernando have been talking about that. <laughs> The Otani factor. I mean, I think all Angel fans would sleep better at night if we knew he was signed to an extension. <laughs> yeah, on the question of all of baseball, <laughs> literally <laughs> from here to Japan, everyone wants to know. Um, I, honestly, I have no idea. The it's 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 and it's more than just like. Yes, we we have heard these little bits of like more more than elusive his his elusive style of speech um, that he typically does. He he doesn't typically show too much emotion is is what I mean to say ever. Uh, <laughs> and, and we we got like that one a glimpse of like oh maybe is he unhappy? We're not sure, but like it see it, like it 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 was different like wording. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the end of the 2021 season where he was like, Oh yeah, I, I really want to win. Um, and like my, my feelings of wanting to win are stronger. Um, I believe that's what he said. My, my, one of my uh, mentors, uh, Dylan Hernandez, um, he just posted his, his latest column on, on Otani. Um, so I'm trying to remember what the exact quote was from 21. Um, but yeah, so I, I just, I feel like because, of the way he speaks um, and how much he does not really give away. It is so hard to know what, he, what's even like going on in his head, where he's at, what he wants to do. But I feel like no matter what his decision will be. And I, I said this on a, the, the podcast I was on uh, the other night, like whatever his decision is going to be, like it's going to be shocking no matter what he does, whether he stays, whether he goes, no matter what happens, everyone's going to freak out. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Sarah. Now, do you think that even Shohei knows what he's going to do right now at this moment? Do you think he's already mentally been like, you know what, I'm going to test free agency or I'm willing to talk extension? Or do you think like from your perception and from his body language that even he's, you know, in a mental question mark state? 
I honestly have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I, it's 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 and I I hate to keep saying I don't know because no, I know it's fine. Like when like I whenever I ask whenever I'm interviewing other people and they say I don't know I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know. Um, that's why I like any any time we get something from him we're just like like you you watch it you re-listen to it you re-listen to the audio you try to pick it apart, but it's he's got his own poker face in what he says that it's I have no idea if he knows what he's doing and is just playing coy about it then like he's doing a really good job at that if he actually has no idea what he's doing and he's literally just act like acting as if he doesn't know because he really doesn't know then like he's playing to his own advantage so <laughs> yeah I have no idea like I, I can't even tell you what I think he's thinking <laughs> well let me ask you this because we're, we're, when you were in New York, did you have a pretty good, you know, idea of like how guys were they more open, like through your Aaron judges of the world, uh, were they more open to talk, uh, you know, easier to talk with, get a better read on? Um, your opinion? Sort of. So, um, uh, there was more. I don't know if candor's the right word for it, but it was just there was a little bit more access to opportunities to talking to 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 the players um yeah because that's what i was gonna get at was you know having the new york media obviously there's a ton of them but still they're accessible whereas these guys over here don't have to answer to too many beat writers like you said you know just like a handful compared to new york but they're more tight-lipped like even mike trout like you're saying you can't get a read on otani mike trout doesn't really lend his you know, his speaking uh, chances to just anybody or even uh, people in general, like he's pretty quiet too. I mean, is that kind of a little weird compared to like the New York style of players you can talk to and their accessibility compared to the Angels who have, you know, two really big superstars, but you're not ex that accessible to most of the players? Not really. I feel across the board, there are a lot of players who, um, I don't know if it's necessarily like media training or just like a pay, like a, a maturity or patience with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, with if you don't know the answer, if you're not comfortable with saying the answer, you say the truth without giving too much. It's not a lie. It's just you say what you feel comfortable saying. Mm -hmm. So it's it's it it makes it sometimes it makes it kind of bland. But I feel like the not really saying too much style of of like answering questions isn't unique to the angels I, I it's a it's kind of like a little bit there's different players across the board but like sometimes you'll get players who who want to talk more um sometimes you'll get players who just like same thing a little bit more reserved they don't want to say too much um but like the only the only difference i i think between very specifically with like shohei otani and dealing with like the stars in New York or even anywhere else. It's just the accessibility. Um, Otani, we only speak to once. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty much like only on after days that he pitches and sometimes he will agree to uh, like answer questions like on his way out, like he'll record his answers and like send them in. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just the, the accessibility that's, that's a bit different. Okay. So, uh, we I have some friends in the organization who you know, and, and friends who have been in the clubhouse, and 
they've described to me, you know, how Mike Sosha, Brad Osmus, and how Joe Madden's clubhouses were all run so differently. But what I don't know much about is what a Phil Nevin clubhouse looks like. What's the best way to describe, you know, how Phil Nevin seems to run his ship from uh, your perception? Um, I feel like they're all kind of in their own comfortable space. It's so it's, it's different in the home clubhouse. I mean, everyone has like their own space, of course, in the, the clubhouse for spring training. It's kind of like, just, this is a lot of people is something like 88 guys in that clubhouse. It is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's a small clubhouse too, right? It's not, <laughs> they they've outfitted it to make it like workable. Like it, it's not it's not bad like it doesn't feel that tight also because okay. it's still just a lot of people <laughs> a lot of yeah. people in there. um but yeah i don't i feel like every everyone is very chill in in that clubhouse i don't know if that's a reflection of of how phil nevin likes to run his clubhouse or if that was just a reflection on all the guys in that clubhouse um but you know every everyone is very chill like you walk in, whoever happens to be there, like they're all kind of just quiet. Um, they just kind of do do their own little thing. And uh, when you want to talk to someone, you kind of just walk up, ask if they're if they're free and they have some time to to chat. But they're all very chill. <laughs> That's okay. Good. Fair enough. Now let me ask you this: Tempe Diablo Stadium, one of the worst spring training facilities, right? <laughs> That's what everyone keeps telling me. I haven't like. I've, I've been to exactly two places. I've been to the press room and the parking lot. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I, like, I, I guess I, I'll, I'll do a bit more walking around um, when, when the games start. Um, and I, I haven't seen any of the other stadiums, but everyone, okay. everyone keeps telling me it's a bit on the older side. I can kind of see that with like yeah. how the press room looks um, and like with kind of like the layout uh, of everything. But at the same time, I like I don't have I don't have anything to go on. <laughs> well, if you're when you're there on Sunday for media day, well, you know they're taking the photos, they're doing the what's that song and all that. If you're gonna see that process take place, I, I know they're 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 currently building like a three story facility, right? Um the the like official thing that they told me was they're exploring options um, with the city of Tempe, or, okay. or they're exploring options with what to do with the, with the property space. Okay. So already going to try to get Tempe to pay for it. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, where they do the media day filming is like right where they came to keep the field equipment. So like reeks of gasoline. And, Cause it's literally right where the uh, groundskeepers keep all their stuff. And they set up the green screen and everything right there. It's like the quirkiest thing ever. You know, the road team has to walk across the field to get to their clubhouse. It's just, Tempe Diablo Stadium is a weird place. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, what? I just thought of something. Um, I believe, it, like, whenever, it, and I don't know, like, whether this is across the board or anything, but I, I wherever, like, the the facilities are, I, I think it's it's the city that like pays for like the construction of 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 a, of the stadium. So I I think like whatever deal they already have, and like it's the city that pays for it. I, I don't know if that also applies to Tempe, but I know it applies in like San Bernardino. Um, I remember when I was talking to, to the guys over there, they were saying like, no, it's like, it's, it has to like our facilities uh, have to get upgraded with like the money that comes from the, from the city itself. 
So okay, because I'm only asking because this was reported like pre-COVID. They said they were going to build like the three-story facility. They said they were going to make Tempe Diablo Stadium so you could walk all the way around it because most other spring training facilities, you know, you can walk around 360 degrees. You know, ah, from okay. the outfield to you know wherever you need to go. But Tempe Diablo, you know, you can only really walk from Felpool to Felpool. So yeah. Yeah, and then there's a big rumor that it was built on an Indian burial ground, so I don't know. They said the same thing about Angel Stadium. Everything <laughs> was built on an Indian burial ground, according to the internet. I know. Um, <clears throat> so with the season fa- uh, vastly approaching, you mentioned the depth. Um, I got I got to pick your brain on this one. We were impressed last year with the pitching. Can the pitching emulate that again? Because we feel if they get any kind of hitting, this team could be a playoff team. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think it has the potential to be. They kept mainly all the same guys from the from the pitching staff and like from the pit, like coach pitch coaching staff. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, they kept mo- m- many of the same uh, people. Um, they added the the guy from Driveline, Bill Hezel, who like has helped so many, or at least the Driveline program has helped many other pitchers, Shohei included. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in theory, sure, <laughs> sure. I feel I'm a very like watch and observe kind of person and we'll see how it all plays out. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess one of the last questions I have for you, do you, do you have any fun or funny stories from your time uh, covering the angels, whether it was, you know, your, your, your short time last year or, you know, the early beginning this year, Anything quirky or anything that happened? Maybe one of the guys did something funny. <laughs> Actually, and I, like, I feel like I replay this moment in my head just because, like, it was such a stupid thing on my part. I, I feel like towards the end of last year, my questions just some of them I was just like pulling them out of my head without like actually thinking of them all the way. So it was okay. the day that Otani almost had his no hitter. Um, before the game, I asked Phil Nevin, um, and I phrased the question wrong, and I'm going to mess it up now again, too, because I don't remember what question <laughs> I wanted to ask, but I, I went through this on the podcast yesterday, and I, whatever. <laughs> um, what I, I wanted to ask him something along the lines of, like, do you think oh, Shohei Otani can be the next pitcher to um, have a perfect game? But what came out of my mouth was something like, uh, how much time is it until Shohei throws a perfect game? Something, something <laughs> that didn't make any sense. And like everyone uh-huh. was laughing at me for it. And I realized after it left my mouth that I was like, wow, what did you just say, Sarah? And Phil Nevin was just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then when he like almost has his perfect game, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, the answer was that day or, you know. <laughs> So everyone came back in the like they, we all went back into like the the conference the interview room after the game and uh Phil Nevin walks in the room he looks at me <laughs> and I'm just like I want to go back to being the fly on the wall I yeah. <laughs> does Phil Nevin use the manager's press room next to the clubhouse or does he use the upstairs one near the press box uh, the one next to the next to the clubhouse Okay, because apparently that one didn't used to exist before Mike Sosha used to have to go upstairs to what I call the silver, the silver media room, because I, I'm <laughs> sure you've seen, right? It has silver wallpaper, right? And then the one downstairs has the red. 
if I remember correctly. I, I haven't been yeah. in either one in a while. I've only seen the one on, so that floor that you're talking about, that's kind of where, the, the, that's where our press boxes are. Okay. Um, the ones that are behind home plate. And I've only seen that door open once. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm not sure. When I saw it open once, they were setting up to do uh, either headshots or some kind of like graphic for like what pops up on the screens like during games. Okay, that's what my buddy does. Okay. I have a friend who that's does cool. that. <laughs> <laughs> I have really two quick questions for you. First off, favorite med of all time. Oh, David Wright. Oh, okay, Captain America. Oh, okay. The, that, that's yeah. because uh, in uh, 2006 was the very first game that I remember wanting to go to. So, like previously, like my like family would go to games to wherever. Um, but 2006 was the first time that I asked to go to to a game, um, and I believe that was either his rookie year or the year after his rookie year i can't remember i just remember it was it was very young very young in his career um and uh that that was the player that like i i fixated on i was like wow this guy's really good um yeah he was fun to watch <laughs> so i i followed followed his career to like the day that he retired i was like oh man that was his third year 2006 but yeah like you said very early on I, that wasn't his first all-star year because that, that, that was the year he and Jose Reyes kind of just were like flashy everywhere. That was his first all-star year. Yes. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So you're I mean, you, you, you were right both in both capacities. So, <laughs> so yeah, sucks that like his career ended the way it did, like with so many injuries Yeah. I'd like to see him get back up there one more time and like play a meaningful season, like play, a season of of baseball like under his terms instead of like okay we're activating you for one game <laughs> yeah. so that you can but retire. what a special <laughs> moment that was like watching that i mean and that's from you know a, a, an outsider right i mean i'm not a mets fan but i mean you know who didn't like david wright you know he played the game the right way always seemed to to give it his all he, he was just fun to watch especially that world series year oh yeah that was that was amazing <laughs> Yeah, my last question for you, it's also Met-related. Um, when Terry Collins, he used to manage here back in the day before Socha, um, but he had the Mets super close. They just ran into a, a, a tough Royals team. What were your thoughts on that team? Did you, did you think they had it, they were going to beat the Royals at the time, or, or uh, do you think that was a strong enough team? Because they, they, to me, I thought the you know a few years earlier they had a better squad, but he got the most out of that squad. The 2015 team was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, plus, did, the starting pitching rotation was crazy. Yeah. yeah, I did get the most out of them, but honestly, coming in, like, I I viewed the Mets as the underdog in that series because mm -hmm. I figured, like, the Royals were already, like, coming in hot from their 2014. So, 2015, the Royals seemed like they were coming for blood. So, yeah, they wanted revenge because I, I felt they should have beat the Giants if it had not been for Bumgarner. I mean, <laughs> they were right there. And... What, what was it in, in 2014, the, the, the Giants – radio stations ban the playing of royals by lord <laughs> yeah so petty <laughs> uh, yeah right <laughs> so uh yeah i yeah i i viewed the mets as the underdog that year so if, if they were going to pull it off it was it was going to be another like wow miracle mets it's amazing yeah yeah i bet you all of new york was was hyped up for that because it seems from an outsider you know when whenever the 
Yankees go to the World Series, it's more expected. I think when the Mets go, it's more of a party. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're just excited to be there in the postseason. It's funny for just like the dynamic for like New York sports there. There's the, there's the one team that's been there for a really long time and has solidified like so many championships. And then there's the team in the same sport that, you know, hasn't had that, that same kind of, of legacy. Anytime you go to like a championship parade for any of these, so take the giants, for example, Uh, last time they won in 2012, 14, it was 10, 12, 14. No, no, she's talking about the New York Giants football. Sorry, New York Giants, not, not the same. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Football, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I think it was four, It was 12 or, or 11. I can't remember. Whatever. When they went to the they, – they, they won the Super Bowl, um, had the championship, the ticker tape parade, fans lined in the street. Yeah, everyone excited. Then you have, like, the, the faction of fans that are, have, like – holding up Jets jerseys going, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's that same kind of dynamic for, for like a lot of of New York. Like, so it's always seems like the, the Yankees and then the Mets, but different dynamic now, just because of like where the Mets are, especially with like their payroll and their new ownership. So, but (laughs) it's uh, definitely different for sure. um, In terms of like the championship expectations through the years. Yeah, because, I mean, again, from an outsider, I mean, the Mets look like a team that's been around as long as the Yankees, but they really haven't. But, but they're, you know, their fans and their fan base is really strong. And, uh, and you know, they're just, to me, like the Jets. If, if the Jets were to win a Super Bowl, I mean, New York would shut down, you know. So, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if the Mets were to do it again, too, same thing. Yeah. It's so weird how they play in New Jersey, but – you know, New York is where they had the parade. And in all fairness, I don't, there's not very many places in New Jersey near the state and they could have it. I mean, Secaucus could not handle a championship parade. <laughs> Just imagine, imagine all the broken ankles from all the potholes that people would have. <laughs> so that's the only problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Secaucus, uh, I used to stay in Secaucus before, now I'd stay in Somerset. So. <laughs> All right, Sarah, uh, where can our listeners and viewers uh, find your work? Where can they see your work or and anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, um, you guys can uh, follow along with whatever I post on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Sarah underscore Isabel V-E-E. Um, Sarah is spelled S-A-R-A-H. Isabel is I-S-A-B-E-L. Um, and all my work can be found at latimes.com. All right. I mean, that's anything else. Um, not unless you guys have some more questions. I don't really have too many. Places. Oh, wait, how's your Spanish? How's your, are you pretty fluent? I was, I was just talking about this with a player. I was just talking about this with Gio Rochella early today. Okay. The first thing he asked me was like, so you speak Spanish, right? And I had to explain, yes, I speak Spanish, but my mom is Filipino. My dad is Dominican. I very much have three languages swirling around in my head. Oh, no. <laughs> Sometimes I get very confused, like when anyone is talking to me and in, in, in like either language. So and I like back home, if if like I have family that talk to me in Tagalog, which is the dialect that um, my family speaks in the Philippines. Um, and then I have like my sister who will speak to me in Spanish. I will answer everyone in English. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You guys can sort it out yourselves. 
<laughs> um, but so I, I, I've tried to make more of a point of like not to use English as like a crutch whenever I'm talking to the players and I make more of a point to like speak Spanish. Um, when I'm asking, like, if I need to like interview players, I need to write out all of my questions like in advance, just to make sure that I have it and I don't get confused and start just like, <laughs> I words escape me <laughs> very easily. <laughs> so I just make sure like I have all of my questions written out so I know exactly what I wanna say. And if I get lost with like what I wanna say, I already have it prepared. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Spanish is my first language, but for me, I have this like mental block of, well, I'm going to mess up. So we have a bunch of like Spanish speaking, like for instance, Edgar Cuero, uh, he was supposed to come on during the off season, but I'm too worried about interviewing him in Spanish. <laughs> Not because I don't know Spanish, but because I'm like, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. All the, all the <laughs> time for me. And I feel like it's, I mean, I, I, it's it's weird. Like when you're in New York, it, it's a lot of like a lot of Spanglish. So like you're yeah. mixing English and Spanish, like anyway. But like at the same, like any time I need to speak it, I I I'm just like unless it's with like friends or family, I am so self conscious about how I'm actually speaking. Am I speaking it well? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Did I completely say something that makes no sense and I thought it made sense in my head? Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. One hundred percent. I'm sure most of the players are are kind of used to that, though, right? I mean, this the, the more Americanized Spanish because that's that's how it tends to go. <laughs> but that's pretty. That's pretty good. I mean, I'm not smart enough to talk two languages. Sometimes I struggle with one. Fernando knows. So I commend you on that. Yeah, see, can, there you go. Can confirm. Honestly, there are times where I'm I'm trying to do interviews and I'll forget all like this is why I need to write out all of my questions because there was one in particular that like I forgot all concept of language. I forgot Spanish. I forgot English. I didn't know my name anymore. Oh wow. <laughs> And like after that, like just traumatized. So I'm like, after that, I'm like, nope, every single question is getting written out because we are not getting stuck in that ever again. <laughs> See, that's probably what happened with Phil Nevin. You know, like you were ready to ask that question. We didn't have it written down. And then the about the Otani. <laughs> Honestly, though, like there, there are sometimes like after games, I'm like, okay, let me just let me make sure I actually have the question I want to ask in mind so that I, I don't start babbling off nonsense. <laughs> yeah i mean that could happen I've, I've done some pretty run-on questions myself <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. but hey we appreciate your time though uh Absolutely. we really appreciate that and we look forward to maybe talking to you to, uh during the season uh hopefully on some good news and uh, <laughs> and some win streaks and uh also you know we're, we're at the stadium uh you know quite often so maybe we can run by and say hi absolutely absolutely thank you so much for having me we appreciate your time again. And Fernando, any last words? Uh, no, thank you to Sarah for your time. We really appreciate you being uh, flexible with everything and making the time. And uh, for everyone, thanks for listening. There you go. See you guys on the flip side. Thanks for listening, Halo fam. Make sure to like, subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast. Don't forget to drop that five-star review. Viva Los Angelitos. Have a great day, everybody.